Welcome to Engage Arizona. Public policy affects all of our lives, often in very profound ways. One of Center for Arizona Policy's main objectives is to inform and educate Arizonans about what's going on at the state capitol and in local governments that impact their lives. If you care about the preborn and their mothers, your rights as a parent, what freedoms are at risk, or how new laws touch your family, we're talking about it. And we invite you to join us as we discuss the latest developments you are not likely to learn from local and national news. Join us now as we unpack the week's developments in Arizona public policy. Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Cindy Dahlgren here with Kathy Harrod and Lisa Brugg. State legislators pulled a couple of all-nighters, got down to business today, and they're set to signy die. House is about ready to do it right now. So much has uh, happened. Let's talk a little bit about what passed, how we got here, because it was a roller coaster ride, at least the last couple of weeks anyway. It looks like 14 CAP-supported bills passed this session, plus several others, very great value and interest. Uh, let's start with, um, like I said, 2035 uh, Parental Rights Bill, replaced the one that the governor vetoed several weeks ago. Uh, that's on his desk now. We do expect him to sign it. Yes, I, um, by the time people are listening to this podcast, we anticipate that the governor will have signed 2035. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, and so just to remind folks of what that's about, that's the uh, Parental Rights Sex Education Bill. That's right. It will say that sex education in district and charter schools, public schools, will not be allowed until fifth grade. Um, there's no need for children at young ages to be given sex education in the public schools. It will require parental opt-in consent for classes other than sex ed, when sexuality is present. We already have opt-in consent for sex education classes. So it extends to say, hey, schools, if you're going to be having sexuality in other classes, maybe it's a, a novel that's been assigned that's graphic sexually or something else, you still have to have opt-in parental consent. And very importantly, if a school district is considering whether or not to have sex education curriculum or to change it, there are significant notice requirements for parents to ensure that parents have accessibility, that they know what the school is doing, and that they can weigh in. And so parents that are listening, it's up to you when you have your children in the public schools, find out what they're doing, be involved, and weigh in, and let them know what you think about the proposed curriculum. And the reason that this bill will likely be signed by the governor and he vetoed the last one is because there was uh, some concern that this type of legislation might keep uh, kids from being informed about good touch, bad touch, and, and, and that, that sort of thing. But that's now in here. That's right. And we have, we've made clear that this does not prevent schools from teaching children about good touch, bad touch, and what, 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 and abuse, what they would call abuse prevention. Abuse prevention is not sex education, but we just clarified that no teachers can still present about good touch and bad touch and help those children. Yeah, it protects them. It, it really is. I mean, it gives parents the driving force here again, puts them in the driver's seat again. Um, I love the notification requirements online and um, in uh, in writing if the parents want that um, to be able to look over this uh, curriculum, I guess, or proposed curriculum and and weigh in on it and decide whether or not their kid is going to be involved or not. Yeah, we were pleasantly surprised today when uh, lawmakers passed uh, regulations for crisis standards of care. That was kind of up to the last minute. It looked like that wasn't going to happen. Talk a little bit about that and why that's important. When COVID hit, 
those um, individuals with disabilities were very concerned whether they, if they got COVID, they were in a hospital, would they be given a ventilator? Would they be, um, be given the resources to save their lives? Well, they discovered that the we had something called critical standards of care in our state that would say that those decisions, allocation of resources, would be made on the basis of life expectancy. Now, if you make a decision on life expectancy for someone who has certain types of disabilities, compared to the person that doesn't have those disabilities, there's going to be a difference in life expectancy, so that person with disabilities is going to be discriminated against. We worked with the Arizona Center for Disability and Law to um, promote legislation um, to ensure that those allocation of resource decisions would be made on short-term mortality, not life expectancy. And so that is critical. And this will be good to go, um, assuming Governor Ducey signs it. We'll know at some point um, in 10 days. There was some compelling uh, testimony on the floor today, bipartisan testimony from folks who are even uh, serving the legislature right now who have been personally affected by this. Mm -hmm. I know the hospitals are um, thought they had this worked out, but at the end of the day, nothing is certain unless it's in law. So it needed to be codified. And um, I think it was a big victory. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the governor will agree with that. And I know we've talked about them a lot, but let's go over real quickly just to review some other big wins. I mean, our big life bill, for one, that, that was huge. That's a done deal signed by the governor already. And that prohibits the discrimination or discriminating abortions um, against um, for children or unborn babies with um, any sort of genetic abnormality, such as Down syndrome and that sort of thing, and also prohibiting the uh, abortion pill to be sent through the mail, which protects women. Um, What else? Well, a key part that we maybe haven't talked about a lot, it also states that Arizona law will give to unborn children all the rights, privileges, immunities that are accorded to individuals, if you want to say born human beings. Um, subject to court decisional interpretations. So this means that whatever the Arizona law, you know, as long as the courts allow it, so if you want to look at when the courts allow states to regulate abortion more, where they may give certain rights, it just gives it gives dignity and a meaning of life to the unborn child. We're very hopeful that we can use this in the future um, to, you know, show that why um, unborn children should not be debort- aborted, why they have, but why they indeed do have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Absolutely. And the great victor of this bill is that it's saving babies' lives pretty soon, right now. Um, as soon as he signed it, we had, you know, we have to wait the, the, the amount of days, obviously, for it to come into law, but that will save babies from that day forward. And no waiting on on anything for that. So that's quite exciting. Yeah, that's great. We also had uh, adoption, an adoption bill. Adoption is a loving option. Um, Talk about that a little bit. And also, um, whatever else that we have. We also had the Born Alive resolution. Well, I think, you know, we've had a very good session on the pro-life side. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the things I am the most um, excited about, relieved about, is funding for abortion alternatives. And for the last two legislative sessions, we lost this bill because we had two Republican senators, frankly, who would not vote for it. And what this bill will do is it will have funding for two nonprofit organizations. It might be a pregnancy resource center in the state. It might be more of a national organization that's working on these um, types of issues to reach women that are actively seeking to have an abortion. And they use sophisticated Internet marketing techniques. But let's reach these women who don't know where to turn and abortion's easy to find, let's reach those women and say, well, here are some life-saving alternatives that you might want to consider. 
We know of a similar program that where it's saved, where women have made use of these services, about half of them have chosen to have their babies and not have an abortion. So you couple that with the adoption, having a new adoption website that abortion, the adoption is a loving option. So women will have that to turn to. It just, you know, I'm hoping that, that these measures will see a reduction, a further reduction in the abortion numbers in our state. And most of all, preborn children, she said, save more babies and save their mothers from the harm and pain of abortion. That's what I was going to say. When a woman's faced with that decision, it's frightening. And sometimes you're only given messages of, of, of panic. What are you going to do? You, you, how are you going to protect yourself? Um, just some words of encouragement, some resources, and some help. Somebody to put a hand out to you and, 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 and point you in a direction so that you can save your baby's life and your own and realize that it's doable and you can be very successful. Um, they don't hear those messages a lot, and I'm just really excited that they're going to be able to hear those now with this uh, funding and um, these programs that are going to be put in place. Right, and this is a pilot program, so we've got two years to see how it goes and see if um, we can get funding for it after that. Uh, okay, so we started out ambitious at the beginning of the year with um, educational freedom, and we kind of got down to the <laughs> we, we have some small victories here. Yeah. Uh, the um, We attempted to increase... Uh, the eligibility for ESAs, but uh, we we got it passed in the Senate, right? And then in the House, it died because of uh, three three people. Yes, um, <laughs> three three state representatives, um, Representative Michelle Udall, Joanne Osborne, and Joel John, voted against allowing low-income students, those on the free and reduced lunch program, to be able to have an empowerment scholarship to attend a school of their parents choosing. A private school, it could be funding for homeschooling, for online academies, but to switch from whatever their their school choice might be. Um, Very, uh, just, yeah, well, sad, I guess, is the word that comes to mind, but these children need opportunities. And how many... How many children lost that opportunity by this vote? Mm-hmm. Oh, tens of thousands. Yeah, definitely. If yeah. not, if not more than that. But the other, but at least uh, at the end, at the um, what, what is it, eleventh hour, 99th hour, whatever you want to say, um, some reforms got made mm-hmm. to the empowerment scholarship accounts that will help some, you know, will help more, some children access ESAs. And I'm hopeful for the future. I just want to give a shout out and thanks to all the legislators that yes. did vote for it. And um, Representative Bullock for putting up the amendment um, in the last day to, to, you know, pull it out of the budget bill and really try to get it passed. And all those that were involved with her on that, they deserve kudos. And I'm hopeful oh, for sure uh, for the future, for even maybe next year that we can get more done. Yeah, at the beginning of the year, after everything that happened uh, through COVID of last year, I really thought that out of all the bills, that the Religion is Essential bill would have slid right through, and that's one of the ones that we lost. Yes, and this bill, yeah, basically to just say you cannot discriminate against an entity simply because it's religious, that you cannot treat religious entities differently than businesses. But we had one state senator, Senator Paul Boyer, who would not agree without having... Uh, without having some, well, I don't know how to put it even, but without um, ensuring that bad actors in churches would be would be would not be protected, and let me just say that House Bill twenty six forty eight was vetted by constitutional attorneys, attorneys that deal with First Amendment issues day in and day out in the courts. They certainly were not looking to pass legislation and draft legislation that would protect a bad actor, that someone uh, who is employed by a church or a church itself that is abusing an individual. This legislation was not going to protect bad actors, but yet we... For whatever reasons, we were never able to convince Senator Boyer or to reach agreement on 
language that would have allowed the Religion is Essential bill to pass. Greatly appreciate Representative Ben Toma, who sponsored the bill, Senator J.D. Mesnard, who worked diligently throughout the session to try to reach an agreement. But rest assured, we'll be back next year. Yeah, one of of the things that I know a lot of people are very interested in now are the election reforms. Uh, And again, uh, I thought that would be an easy sell, too, after last November. Uh, But there was a lot of personal bickering and games going on. We lost a couple of those reforms just in the last day, it looks like. Uh, But but some of them did pass, and there there were some good ones in there. I don't know... um, if you guys had a chance to look at it, the one of the a couple of the things that it establishes ballots missing signatures as of 7 p.m. on election night will not be counted. And a lot of these came out of all the trouble that we mm-hmm. were having in November. Another one prohibits uh, revealing party affiliation on ballot return envelopes. Uh, another one requires that voters who do not vote in in any primary or general election for two election cycles be contacted, and they must confirm in writing that they want to continue to be on the early voting list. And uh, if the confirm if the confirmation is not received, then the voters will be removed from the early voting list, but they will remain registered voters, and that's an important distinction. Also, two more uh, important ones. Um, it prohibits state officers of government entities from modifying statutory deadlines, filing dates, like changing yeah, things absolutely. at the last minute. Like, yeah. uh, like elections need to be above reproach. Um, there's been a, a lot of gray area over the past several election cycles. Um, I don't even, you know, I, were they intended? I, no mm-hmm. one will ever know that. But the bottom line is they should be above reproach. And these are great reforms to give people confidence in our voting system. So when you cast your vote, it's counting for whom you want it to count. And it is counted, <laughs> which sometimes you don't know. I mean, it's not in your hands anymore when you go into the ballot box or if you put it in the mail. Once you get rid of it, it's in someone else's hand. So these are really common sense, small reforms, cleanup measures that will ensure and give more confidence to the voter that their vote will count for whom or what they wanted it to count for. Yeah, exactly. Well said. And I think that uh, one of another portion of it that a lot of people are talking about, especially since, you know, the U.S. House passed the um, the H1 or HR1 mm-hmm. and uh, is, is a whole idea of the federal government taking over all the election laws oh, and in this right and and so one of those elements that passed was to recognize the constitutional authority of elections in this by the state Perfect, yeah and not and not the federal government so and and there's plenty of others but we certainly don't have time to go over all of them right now but there there are a lot of good election reforms that that um that people can be celebrating arizona voters can be celebrating Another issue that families seem to be talking a lot about around the uh, dinner table is the whole idea of teaching the curriculum of critical race theory or critical theory in schools. Um, I know that's really blown up even just over the past couple of weeks. Uh, state, state lawmakers passed a budget bill that effectively bans critical race theory um, being taught in public schools or, or charter schools. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this recently with the rise of parents going to school board meetings and really getting involved. I think this has been extremely alarming. Uh, they were able to, they get away with it for quite a while and kind of it was seeping in. And once parents caught on, um, they've been blowing this issue up and for good reason. So, um, you know, uh, they did put it in the budget language, which I'm grateful for because it was a little late, I think, to get a full blown bill through the legislature this year. 
year on this. So I'm just grateful that they were able to say, you know, you cannot teach this, you know, basically systematic racism, in my humble opinion, in our schools. Um, and it just can't do that, especially um, the goes back to the curriculum thing again. Parents have no idea what their kids were being taught. And when they did read it, they were just shocked. And, and I think we were. Well, and that's what, let's applaud parents, that parents, you know, starting to show up at school board meetings and saying, what is this garbage that you're trying to teach our children, that that um, parents be encouraged, um, individuals be encouraged, that when we engage, when you engage as activists on your local level, you can make a significant difference. Mm -hmm. I don't know that this legislation would have passed if we had not seen the upheaval going on in the public schools around this state with parents saying, wait a minute, what's going on? Um, And so this is also a good illustration of how let's not let the schools, in a sense, pull the wool over our eyes. Um, Parents, you've got a right to access material that's being presented to your students and get in there and and find out. Absolutely. And you know it's bad when the uh, people are offended now that they almost got their hand caught in the cookie jar. Um, now they're all upset at the parents. Like, how dare you come to our school board meeting? Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, you did elect us. <laughs> oh, that's right. We work for you. Oh, there's that. Yeah. Oh, I guess we do need to listen to you. And kudos, like you said, to the parents. I'm really excited about this movement. Yeah, really great win um, this session for parental rights as far as, you know, the transparency with this and also mm-hmm. like we were talking about before with the sex education. Find it ironic. Well, so several states have passed these types of, you know, critical race theory bans. And so uh, Lisa and I were talking earlier about the thousands of teachers throughout the country who have signed a pledge saying that they don't care what law is passed. They're going to go ahead and teach it anyway. Even though is, they said they weren't teaching it. I was it just going to say the irony like, is ah, amazing. They're going to continue to teach what they say they were not teaching exactly. anyway. Exactly, and 160 some odd in Arizona. Yeah. So be aware and look at that um, resource that's out there. You just Google it. Mm-hmm. Of these teachers around the United States who are signing a pledge that they'll teach this anyway because quote unquote who's going to enforce it? Well, and this shows the thinking that the teachers know better than parents. That school administrators know better than parents, and we're like. No. Parents are the ones that are equipped and are knowledgeable. They're the ones that know what's best for their children's education. And it's their right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, for those who want to look it up, it was the Daily Wire that had it. And um, they also have a link to a whole list of the different states and the teachers' names who are on that pledge. So that might be good for for parents to be aware of. Uh, Anyway, all right. So let's end with kind of an overall analysis of the uh, of the session how would you what would you call it how would you characterize it and what was the key factor in all of this um well first i would say every legislative session is different and this one was a doozy (laughs) whatever doozy means it was a doozy uh the most challenging aspect of this legislative session is only having 16 republicans in the senate and only 31 republicans in the house that's the exact number that you need to pass any legislation. So the things that we wanted to get through did not get through was because we did not have 16 and 31. And so that's where um, we need, uh, we just, we're grateful, let me say, we're grateful for the 14 measures that we supported passed for the other things that, that were really good. I mean, a flat ta- you know, tax reform, you mentioned elections law, critical race theory ban. It was a very good session in terms of policy that passed. Was it difficult? Yes. But it was very very um, encouraging to see what really did get accomplished, even though it took until 
June 30th <laughs> um, through the very last day that they should be going home. I've kind of lost track. I think today, I think we're, it's June 30th, but I'm not, when we're recording this, I'm not even sure at this point with how it's been going. But I think, you know, when I look at these bills and it's very encouraging, it's very heartwarming. Obviously, none of this would have happened with Senator, Senator for, Center for Arizona Policy Advocacy if we didn't have people like you all that are listening to this podcast, standing with us, praying with us, supporting us, and enabling our policy team to really engage on these issues. Which one's going to matter the most? I believe that we're going to see lives changed, not only lives of preborn children, but also of their mothers and their mothers being spared the physical consequences of abortion, their fathers being spared mm-hmm. the emotional heartbreak of losing a child to yeah, abortion. Sure. So we're not going to know that for sure this side of heaven, you know, to, to use my um, friend Alan Sears expression. But, you know, at least um, we know that when when people vote they vote for pro-life lawmakers, they engage in the system and the process, that then you can see legislation passed that will save lives. And each one of you that voted for a pro-life lawmaker, for a pro-family lawmaker who stood with Center for Arizona Policy, you were a part of saving lives. Absolutely. It's wonderful. It is. It's awesome. It's awesome to be a part of it and to watch it and to see so many hardworking and very bold and courageous lawmakers sticking with it this long. And an awakening of parents, an awakening um, that we can't do it without you. We will. We will carry the water, but we need your ideas. We need your voices and we need you to stand up and, and, and work with us to get this stuff done. I, I, I'm proud of them. And this is what happens when, when that happens. Exactly. 14 good bills plus. All right. Well, that's a great uplifting way to end. So thank you very much. And um, we'll talk again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and give a review on any podcast platform you use. For more information, visit azpolicy.org.